People claiming to be pastors are conducting same-sex marriages and promoting transgenderism from the pulpit. At the same time, it seems like biblically-minded pastors who are willing to speak up for God's truth on sexuality are getting harder to find. What's happening with the Christian church? Plus some good news, more students are showing courage in the face of Pride Month social pressure. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our special guest, Pastor Mike Marissi. Well, I'm excited to have on the show with me today my amazing colleague, Pastor Mike Marissi. Thanks for being with us today, Mike. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what you're doing with a new pastor initiative at the Family Foundation, and I'm also going to be picking Mike's brain on the latest headlines on church controversies. But before we get into all that, I do have a few updates to give. Most importantly, I wanted to share an update on our President Victoria, who is usually sitting right here in this chair next to me. But as you may remember, she's on a short sabbatical, just uh, just two months. But we wanted to stay connected to her in spirit. So we came up with what we're calling the Flat Hammer Project, which is kind of a little takeoff on Flat Stanley, if you've heard of that. And the way it works is we made this little laminated hammer guy for her that she's taking around with her. And she takes a little selfie if she's somewhere interesting to share with us, just so we can stay up on what's going on in her life and with her family. Now, if you want to know why we chose the hammer guy for this, you're going to have to go back to episode 131 to get the backstory. But in the meantime, I did want to go ahead and share a couple of fun pics we got from Victoria so far. Now, the first one is not an exotic location, but it is a very important event. And that is Victoria with flat hammer in front of her early voting location for the primary. So while that's already passed and we can't do that, it's a good reminder to all of us to remember the importance of early voting for the upcoming mm -hmm. general elections. And the other one is my personal favorite. She shared one of her eating ice cream uh, with her daughter in Delaware. So I thought that was a fun one. And it did kind of make me think about what we're doing with our families this summer. Now, I don't think you've had time to go to the beach, but I've heard some interesting stories on you helping your son get ready for prom. Tell us about that. Oh, yes. He just had uh, his school just had their prom just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the interesting thing for him is we picked out the perfect suit. Um, and uh, and then after his date got her dress, they made a decision that we were going to mix and match. So instead of it being a black suit with a white shirt and a tie that matched his his dates, mm -hmm. uh, his girlfriend's dress, he had to have a black pants and a white jacket. The problem is you can't find a white jacket in his size so now you have to go buy a second suit so now we're up to almost four hundred dollars <laughs> just so that he can mix and match the two awesome. suits <laughs> not and awesome just, for your budget it just grew from there believe me but you're trying a to good find dad, the tie Mike. and that matched the dress perfectly but it ended up being a great night and they look they look pretty awesome they together. did would do you think you'd be okay if we shared the picture sure he, absolutely uh, you could do get, that say dad why'd you share the picture but no i think that one's an approved one i'm not allowed yeah. to share pictures okay. unless he approves them first so this is the life of teenagers mom and dad can't post pictures on instagram unless they have been pre-approved otherwise they'll you'll get an immediate text saying take that down <laughs> all right well i'm glad this one's approved we're going to share this one's it, okay. it, it look, you could they, do that. they do look just awesome together yes. love her dress um all right well 
let's go ahead and I want to go ahead and finish introducing you, Mike, because this is your first time on the podcast, Mm -hmm. and I'm excited to have you. And let's just tell the audience a little bit about you. Now, you bring a lot of variety of experience to the Family Foundation that I know is going to be a blessing to us. I know you've spent 30 years in the corporate world, and at some point you answered the call into ministry. Uh, Tell us about when you got ordained and what you're using that for now, what God has you doing now. Well, in 2015, I I really heard God uh, say that he wanted me to come and do something specifically for him. The irony of that is is that within a week, uh, a gentleman that I'd only met one time invited me to lunch and then offered me a job in a national Christian ministry. So I really knew that God was not only planting something in my spirit, but then acting on it right away for me so that there would be no question in my mind that this is what he had me do. At that point, I decided to start a program of training over the next couple of years to get ordained as a pastor. Um, But also in 2015, the leadership of a college campus ministry called Campus Harvest that had been that had started back in 1990 called me and asked me if I would take over leadership of that. So we did that and we were on, we had leadership uh, on almost 200 campuses in the country. And these are just young people who are on fire for Christ and they started to see the trend on college campuses, uh, kind of an anti-Christian culture starting to develop. And so we were really uh, encouraged by young people who said, no, I want to stand boldly for Christ, even in the midst of some oppression. Um, And they just took it on, and they would hold Bible studies, and uh, we would always partner with a local church so that they would get in. We like for the students to get engaged in, you know, and kind of used to go into church every Sunday, so they developed that life experience of understanding what that fellowship and that gathering means. And then we do outreach events in all those local, uh, the local communities around the colleges to serve people who are mm-hmm. in need. So it's been a wonderful uh, ministry. Um, and even today, I mean, obviously COVID shut it down, but even today we, st- we are back up and running again and seeing expansion yeah. and it's wonderful. Well, I'm so glad that God brought you to the Family Foundation. That's a lot of good depth of experience that I think we are definitely going to be blessed by. And I know you are starting this new initiative called Church Ambassador Network here at the Family Foundation. And we're going to hear about that a little bit later in the program. But first, I just want to pick your brain, as I mentioned earlier, on these controversial church headlines in the news about these controversies that are happening in the church. I want to get your perspective on that because we've been seeing these transgender issues crop up not only in public schools, but also in the church world. And it's just kind of interesting how this is invading all spheres of life. But with you being a pastor, I want to hear your thoughts on this. And I'll just mention a few of the headlines that have been out there. We've been seeing headlines about one of the nation's largest Catholic healthcare networks coming under fire for apparently providing a transgender surgeries and hormone replacements. There's a watchdog group that is alleging this is happening. So that's been in the news a lot. I'm not really sure how that happens when, you know, going against doctrine, church doctrine like that. But then within the Protestant world as well, we've been seeing church splits over this transgenderism issue, over LGBTQ. Um, The one that's really been in the news lately has been the United Methodist Church, and they are experiencing a a pretty big split right now where this is kind of coming to a head 
uh, with churches going their separate ways on this or some churches going into a more conservative, doctrinally uh, pure denomination faction within their group. So, Mike, bring us up to speed on your thoughts with what's going on in particular with the United Methodists right now. Well, it it, I, I, it breaks my heart to see what's happening within that denomination because they have uh, allowed themselves to take the word of God that they were called to to teach and to uh, and to shepherd their people with, and they have put it aside in favor of social and political correctness, so to speak, because of our culture. So a lot of pastors now, instead of, of viewing today's culture through a biblical lens, are looking at the Bible through a social and cultural lens and it's not the way the church was designed and it's not the way it's supposed to be yeah because it's really odd because the united methodist church has a book of discipline that apparently still has guidance in it that makes it clear openly gay ministers should not be leading the church because they're outside what the bible says about biblical sexuality but you still have local pastors pretty much rebelling against that not only performing gay marriages, uh, but, you know, talking, promoting LGBT kind of agenda. So what do you think's going on with that, that they would just, even though their church doctrine says this, they're doing something different? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, culturally we've, we've, we hear these words about of inclusion and tolerance, and that's good. And Jesus mm. did include everybody. Uh, but his message uh, was, uh, yes, I'll spend time with you if you're a sinner, but my message is that I, I love you so much I'm not going to leave you where you are. For some reason, some of these pastors have decided that inclusion and tolerance means that we're going to be accepting of this new lifestyle that you've chosen that contradicts the Word of God that I'm called to teach. Mm. That doesn't that's work. Good. That's good, Mike. Well, it's interesting that we're seeing the pastors within the, the denomination who actually adhere to what the Bible says about sexuality. They're the ones feeling like they're forced to leave. And this can impact things like their property, their budget. Um, but on the other hand, you've got pastors that are not following that, that are deviating from that, being the ones that are, it seems like they're unashamed about doctrinal lies. Why is that dichotomy happening? Why aren't we seeing the biblically-minded pastors being able to stay and, and lead the church like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question, and I think what we're seeing today is pastors are saying, well, I would just rather be quiet and avoid conflict, and if you think about the way the anti-Christian movement is combat, is, is, is forcing their views on the church today, uh, it becomes very challenging. I was at a, a pastor's breakfast a week ago talking about these very issues, and one of the guys boldly raised his hand, and he said, listen, I lost my job as a pastor of another church because I said that marriage was only between a man and a woman. And he said, so how do I ensure that I can keep my job and do the work that God's called me to do um, and, and not risk losing my job again if I stand on these issues, and the bottom line has to be, and I think that we see this nationwide, the churches that are exploding in growth are churches where the truth is being spoken. People want uh, to feel like their Sunday experience is relevant to their lives. Yeah. Um, I don't need to go to church just to feel good about myself. I'm supposed to go to church to hear and to be shepherded with the truth of God's Word. Yeah, that's good, Mike. Uh, yeah, we still keep seeing this push the other way. Just to give a few examples we're going to put on the screen for our YouTube viewers an image of a Methodist minister uh, celebrating pride, 
Sunday. Now, this was about a year ago, but you can see that that it's all decked out with rainbow flags and everything very in your face about all this. So this problem has been going on for a while within the Methodist Church, but there there is um, a salt of the earth minority that's trying to stay true to the Bible. But just to give a more recent example, I want to play this clip from just a few weeks ago from another Methodist minister in a news story about ministers that wanted to stay true to the Bible, leaving the denomination. And But he's saying, I'm staying. And you can hear how he is justifying his teaching, uh, promoting the embracement of same-sex marriage and the transgender agenda. So let's just hear him real quick. Allendale is a United Methodist Church that is committed to doing the work of anti-racism and loving and affirming uh, LGBTQ people, standing in solidarity with those who are being marginalized. That's why Reverend Andy Oliver at Allendale United Methodist Church proudly performs same-sex marriages. We proudly do so because it's the, it's the right thing to do. Well, I think that's a perfect example, Mike, of what you were saying earlier about pastors or ministers apparently trying to prioritize what the world is saying about being inclusive over God's word. When you hear him say that, he, he says it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. What would be your response to there's, that minister? There's no way to justify that, that belief. If you are a follower of Jesus and a believer of the word of God being the truth, there's no way to justify that. So sometimes the title minister or pastor is um, inappropriately applied. And I think in this case it is. And tell us about kind of the, the larger cost to our society when pastors deviate from that. How does it harm the people sitting in their church pews? So the challenge today in America is what is truth? Um, you know, when Jesus came and was meeting with Pilate in jail, he said, I came here to testify of the truth. And Pilate simply said to him, what is truth? And we're there today. Now, it, depending on where you're, what your source of information is, you really can't figure out what truth is. And I think that's a part of the plan of, this, of, the, of the group that would prefer to see us not follow biblical principles and values and moral guidelines. Um, the only truth is the Word of God. That it, every, every word of it is. And it will answer any question that you have in your life, no matter what you're facing. And by pastors like this that are not teaching the truth from the pulpit, they're misleading people. And so now people that come to church are are unequipped to even articulate what the Bible, what the truth of the Bible is, because you really don't know, depending upon what church you're sitting in and, and what's being taught. Yeah, so then if you're being challenged in your workplace, mm-hmm. one of these trainings that requires you to pledge Uh, beliefs that are different from the Bible, or if your kid is asking questions, then maybe you're you're not equipped if you're not getting shepherded like that, right? That's Um, absolutely right. Well, tell us about what the Church Ambassador Network that you're heading up at the Family Foundation, I think it's called CAN, is the acronym for short. What is it doing to help pastors be the shepherds that God meant for them to be? Well, the, the amazing part of this program is designed to First of all, I've had an opportunity to meet with a lot of pastors and sit down and talk to them about the issues that they face. And I'm sensitive to the fact that they do face a lot of pressure. The challenge for them is they have a building that they have to pay for. They have uh, um, staffs that they have to pay, just like any other any other what you would so-called business would have. Um, but the, quest- the, the thing that I try to emphasize is we are here, they are here. We are called to, re- to answer to one boss, and that's God. 
And so if we're doing that, I believe that he'll honor us. So so we have pastors that are say that they have a spirit of fear. They're afraid to touch any of these issues that are facing every single person sitting in their in their congregation because they're afraid that they'll create some division within their own church. And then you have pastors on the other side who say, I will preach a message, watch 10 or 15 people get up and walk out of my church in the middle of my message, and then see 100 new people come the following week. And I know that it's because God is honoring the fact that I am teaching the truth. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what we have to do. We have to make this decision. The other thing that we're doing is helping people, helping pastors to recognize and legislators also to recognize that in God's eyes, they are shepherds as well. Mm -hmm. Romans 13 makes it clear there is no one in God's government authority that was not appointed by him. But Jesus referred to government leaders back in his day as shepherds. He called King Cyrus a shepherd. He told uh, King David to shepherd his people. So I think what we're trying to do is get pastors and legislators together to recognize that it is okay for them to talk. Mm. They each need to work with one another. These government leaders need shepherds in their life as well. And I think it's working. Yeah, so the shepherds need shepherds. Mm -hmm. And pastors are called not only to shepherd the people in their church pews, but the elected officials in their community, they need their pastor to shepherd them. Absolutely. Um, Tell us some results that you've seen out of that, um, how many connections you've been able to make. Just tell us some encouragement. Well, one of the things that was really disappointing to me was there was a delegate in Virginia Beach who asked me to arrange a pastor's coffee prior to the start of last year's session or this year's session. Uh, And so I sent invitations out to a dozen pastors or so to meet uh, on a particular day at uh, at a Panera to have coffee, just to hear from this legislator, to hear her heart, to um, for her to be able to hear from them, and and none of them could make it. Uh, but we moved the location of the meeting to a private conference room in the building she lives in, and most of them came. And I think it's indicative of you know, some of them were honest and and did admit that while well, someone sees me sitting with a legislator, they may have a problem with that. But um, if your people are going to leave your church because they see you sitting with a legislator who they may not agree with, and they're not being taught the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did have some very bold pastors who were willing to join us in Richmond. And what we basically did every day was come together in the building where all the legislative offices are, and we would walk with Bibles in hand just into any office and offer uh, a few minutes of prayer and biblical uh, reading um, and from both sides of the aisle, we saw just great response. We were fortunate to make uh, almost 200 pastoral legislative okay. connections. Some of those pastors even today are still having lunch on a regular basis with their local legislators. They have developed relationships that have been really wonderful. Uh, and so I'm already looking forward to January of 24 because it's going to be a longer session. And I'm hoping that we'll have a lot more pastors coming uh, to do the same thing. Um, well, I want to help equip people, Mike, with information so they can let their pastor know about how to get plugged into what you're doing, you know, whether it's praying for their legislator or, um, you know, just resources that you would be getting to the pastor. Tell them how they can get the word out. How do they get involved if they are a pastor and how they do they get information to their pastor? Well, you know, you can go to our website, which is familyfoundation.org slash can. Um, and we do have a lot of information there. My contact information is there. I love to do it. I literally spend most of my time traveling the state, um, having lunch or breakfast or coffee with, uh, with pastors. 
Um, and we're, I, I believe, what the feedback that we're getting from pastors who finally say, well, you guys are kind of political, but yes, I'll sit down with you as they find out we're not. This is a very nonpartisan approach to just helping to restore a biblical worldview to both pastors and legislators and the people who sit in their churches. And I yeah. think it's important. It's necessary. So that's familyfoundation.org slash can. C-A-N. Made it yeah. easy for you. And also, uh, Mike, you do something called Team Timothy, which is a prayer alert that goes out every Sunday afternoon. They can mm-hmm. sign up for that on our website. And that, that kind of gets you um, aware of the things that need to be prayed over, what's happening in our culture. It's a great way to plug your pastor into what's happening as well. It is. We, there's five or six points uh, that we, uh, latest issues that are facing um, people here in America, you know, and we also, especially in Virginia, but uh, we also have a call on Tuesday, a live call uh, Tuesday mornings where we do go through all of those and pray with a great group of intercessors. Well, we've kind of touched on already. It's not just the pastor's that need the boldness to speak God's word into the culture, but it's also the people sitting in their church pews. And we've talked about what's happening with the sexuality issues in particular in our culture, but I wanted to touch a little bit also on the sanctity of human life, how that has a biblical connection, and what people can do to have a redemptive impact on that issue. Now, we've talked before about how it's good to get involved with your pregnancy resource center and minister to vulnerable women. But I want to hit on this a little bit from equipping and emboldening Christians to be able to, to articulate a biblical worldview on this, number one, and two, have a redemptive impact by being educated as voters. Can you kind of get us started on that, Mike? Why is it important? Why are elections important to this biblical issue of the sanctity of human life? Well, I think we're, as followers of Christ, we're all called to be bold in our faith. One way that we do that is we insist that the people that um, lead us in government positions reflect um, biblical worldviews in their decision-making. So the sanctity of life uh, is an easy one. According to the Word of God, He knew you before He knit you in your mother's womb. So that means life begins at conception. The challenge for us today is that people tend to just say, well, I'm just going to go along with it. I don't know what this woman's going through. What they've been led to believe is that having an abortion is an answer to a problem, but it's not. It just it compounds the problem because now not only have I um, become pregnant when it was unexpected, but now I have taken the life of the child that was growing inside of me that God put there for me. So we have to be bold about that. And I think it starts with us saying as citizens, we will elect people who will stand on what they say. We have pastors pastors that run for office in the Commonwealth of Virginia, there's sitting delegates today that call themselves pro-choice pastors. And I've had conversations with them and they don't want to talk about it because they know deep in their hearts that they, that, that taking that stand in order to get a seat in politics is dishonoring the calling that God put on them to be a pastor. So boldness, I think God is calling a whole new realm of pioneers to lead the body of Christ in revival. And it's not going to be just pastors. It's going to be you and I. Well, like it or not, that issue does have a direct biblical connection. It is plainly, as you said, addressed in Scripture. So there's no excuse for us not knowing that. But still, a lot of Christians don't know it. Um, So, you know, we got to start with pastors being that shepherd equipped Christians in the pews to understand that biblical connection. But then, as you said, 
help, help us understand with elections the real impact, tangible impact, when we don't go out and vote as Christians and we don't have people supporting life in office. Help us understand that that, that is not you know, an intangible. Well, we saw a clear example of that in Virginia this year. We had a House that put forth very, very solid. This is not political. These are not partisan issues, but issues regarding life, regarding uh, transgender policies in schools, and regarding uh, parental rights. Um, really good legislation that would have benefited all Virginians, and we saw a, a, a Senate that literally killed every one of those yeah. every one of those um, potential laws. And in particular, nine members in the Senate on mm-hmm. the Senate Education and Health Committee pretty much killed every pro-life bill. But I just want people to understand that that's not just intangible words. It's there are actual lives that could have been saved. I mean, we when Roe was overturned, I saw stats that there were thousands of babies' babies' lives mm-hmm. that were saved, saved that would have otherwise been killed, and that, that is true at the state level as well. So when you go to the ballot box, you are protecting actual babies' lives. I don't, yeah. I'll tell you one example. There was uh, the Sage's Law, which is something that we were very much behind, and you know you can look it up and read about it, but in, in the final committee meeting in the Senate, the head of the Senate who was making that decision literally had tears in her eyes and then voted against it anyway. So it impacted her, but politically she knew that her her political clout, so to speak, relied on her standing with the narrative uh, that we're not going to do anything to uh, to change these laws. That's pretty sad to me. Yeah. And so give us the encouraging part. How can Christians change that narrative Tell us, put, give us some numbers as far as Christians turning out, how many yeah. seats are up for election this time. Yes. H- help us put this in tangible terms. Yes, the statistics show that there's about 82 million uh, evangelicals um, and 40 million of them didn't vote and don't vote as a rule. Um, many people, for some reason, are confused that they believe that if they are spiritual and if they are followers of Christ, that they're not supposed to get involved in what we call politics. Mm-hmm. But I think we—I think it's the opposite. I think we have a clear responsibility to uh, to be active and engaged in how we establish leadership for our state. And there's over 2,000 seats up for election in November in Virginia. That starts with school boards, which are so critically important now. Uh, city councils, all the way up to the state, every every congr- um, House position seat and every Senate seat is up for re-election in November this year. It's a very, very important year, and it's incredibly important that the church get involved and, I think, have registration tables in the lobbies, and and pastors should be encouraging people not how to vote or who to vote for, but to vote. Like, I don't know about you, but I just feel like when I think about the future of this country, it feels like, and maybe this is a little too dire, but sometimes I feel like maybe we can have a grace period of 10, 20, 30 years, but what's happening right now is going to make the difference. So if everybody, I feel like Christians are feeling that, the seriousness of it, how can we still have a deficit of 40 million Christians? Like you're saying, what what is going on there? I don't understand it, and I think that... Um, uh, Part of the problem is just we don't, as a, you know, without getting into party differences, if we think about how uh, how we are encouraged to vote, we're just not. You know, I mean, the the, the 
the, the side that is against everything that we stand for in family biblical values is very, very active in promoting the early vote and getting out to the polls and do it. We don't really do that. And so typically what we'll do is, uh, you know, is wait until Election Day. And then if it's cold or if the line's long or it happens to be raining, we just don't go. There's this there's this attitude that my vote doesn't count. And that's just not true. There are hundreds and hundreds of elections that are won by less than one church. And out in your area, there was an election that just a few hundred votes, maybe a couple of big churches could have made the difference, yep. but they, they didn't turn out. And instead, there was a, another pro-abortion There was a special senator. election, yeah. and Aaron Rouse was elected and um, by a very, very small margin. And the turnout for that particular election was incredibly small for that particular district. Yeah, so we're, we're not saying churches become political, but we're saying there is a vacuum <laughs> when the people in your pews do not make biblical connections to these issues. Right. So, okay, with, with the 4th of July just around the corner, tell us an easy thing that people can do to encourage their pastor to maybe even just put out some information, you yeah. know, in a, in a civic way. Maybe we could just have like a faith and freedom Sunday or something where you put up uh, voter registration tables um, so that people that are not registered can get registered. Um, perhaps uh, just some education, you know, uh, I know the Family Foundation produces a wonderful report card so that people can set aside the political rhetoric and actually look at a report card and see how people uh, that are leading them voted. Because I think that may open their eyes to the fact, well, this is not, I don't agree with this and I don't agree with that. And that person voted that way and they represent me. Mm -hmm. So I want to know that they're voting, you know, not just me, but, you know, so I think that if we could get pastors to, I mean, what a, what a, no better place than in a church for pastors to be able to say, we're going to start get, getting this message to get the vote out and how important it is. And, you know, we're not talking about taking political sides. I just want to reiterate that because you're just talking about letting people know how to get involved, how to register to vote. So they are exercising their constitutional right to be civically engaged as Christians and their responsibility. And also the report card, it's not partisan. It's just here is how your representative scored, voted on uh, life, family, and freedom issues that you care about. So just education tools. Absolutely. And along those lines, I think it would be great on that particular Sunday for a pastor to write a message that just talks about the biblical truths of the founding of our nation and how and what all of these issues, what God says about all these issues of life, of marriage, of gender, of parental rights, because I think a lot of people um, are, are not uneducated about it because they're hearing they're hearing a narrative that's contrary to the word of God. I love that idea. Kind of a civic Sunday message mm-hmm. of. Here's how the Bible connects to what's happening in the culture on abortion, sexuality, you know, freedom. That That's a great idea. Yep. All right. So just a quick plug on how to get to the report card. If you want to share that uh, with people, friends, family, churches, uh, just go to familyfoundation.org and look for that report card banner. It's really easy. Familyfoundation.org. Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! 
You know, we have just been inundated lately with a ton of disturbing, even graphic images during Pride Month, just with all the reports coming out about how little kids even and students are basically being force fed this transgenderism agenda. And it's just getting more and more aggressive and and more and more graphic. But there has been some good news in all of this. We are seeing an increase of courageous students, of course, at the higher levels at high school and college, saying enough is enough. You cannot coerce us into having compelled speech or speaking something against our beliefs. And let's just take, for example, this incredibly courageous young woman at the University of Cincinnati who reported that her professor gave her a failing grade, literally a zero, because she used the term biological women in a class assignment. Her name is Olivia. Let's just let her tell her story for a minute. I got a zero on a project proposal in my class because I used the term biological women, which is apparently not allowed anymore. She even said it was a good project proposal, um, but I got a zero because I used this term and it's exclusionary and not allowed anymore, so. And I 100% know that this is like the most biased grade ever because my project is about transgenders competing in biological women's sports. All right, now in case all of you didn't quite catch that on the video, she displays her professor's actual feedback, which I thought was quite interesting. It says, quote, Olivia, this is a solid proposal. So here you have her acknowledging that it's actually a good academic proposal. But then the professor goes on to say, quote, however, the terms biological women are exclusionary and are not allowed in this course as they further reinforce heteronormativity. Let's just stop there and let you comment, Mike. <laughs> heteronormativity. <laughs> it's all yours. I guess that word is to de- is uh, by design saying that we were all that we believe or we have a viewpoint that we were all born heterosexual. Um, I guess it's supposed to I have guess, privilege that yes. we can believe that. Or, well, yeah. I absolutely believe that that is true. The word of God is again we go back to the truth of the word of God, and God doesn't make mistakes, and He doesn't create us. Um, we were we were born with a propensity for sin. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, that we have to just go along with that. Our mission is to follow biblical principles and not do that. I would say we're not privileged. We are free to believe biblical That's truth right. so and, why is it and biological truth. The, in this case, the professor gets to to push his own agenda or her, or her own agenda her, yeah. and the student does not and and that's the problem i was get uh, your pronouns right mike oh my goodness <laughs> don't even get me started so I, my son and i have been doing college visits and we were at a, a major university in virginia just last week and there were five young ladies who stood in front of a, a room full of parents and their students and they introduced themselves and each one of them would say their name and then they would say and my pronouns are she her and you know because they were all women, I take they it. They were all women. <laughs> okay. And uh, um, so at one point, after getting to know one of them a little bit, I finally asked her, I said, just explain this to me. Why, why, is it just, why is it necessary in this environment for you to say that? And she said, it's required. She has a job. They, she is paid to do this during the summer. And the university requires them to, when they introduce themselves, to use pronouns. So I did some research. The university itself does not have a written policy about that, but obviously whoever is leading this particular admissions team 
uh, is requiring that. And in another major university uh, where a friend is a, a professor, they are mandated, they are mandated to put their pronouns in their email signature for the university. There's a problem with that. So, you know, they, they will accuse us of trying to force biblical principles and values and morals. Or even biological common <laughs> right? sense. Um, DNA. Um, but then they are doing the exact same thing with their side. Yeah. Well, the good news is this pushback is not just happening at the college level. We're also seeing this at the high school level. And it's sad that students have to be put in this position in the first place. But... It's good to see people are awake out there and, you know, not just being willing to just be force fed lies. And I'll just give one example of some of the pushback. There were some high school students in Massachusetts where their school was pushing this whole pride celebration on them. But instead of wearing the rainbow uh, colors that they were apparently ordered to wear to school, they came with red, white and blue and they were saying, uh, my pronouns are USA. <laughs> so they were chanting that as a, you know, protest against this being force fed this stuff. My pronouns are USA. Now, I think as Christians, we might want to find redemptive way, uh, you know, a redemptive way to speak into those lies. But I still think that there is encouragement here that everyone is not just being, you know, falling down and bowing the knee to these agendas. It seems yes. like people are waking up. Yes, I think they are. And it's young people that are doing it. And I think historically in our country, we've seen whenever we've seen big revival and big change, uh, we've seen mm-hmm. it come out of young people who get fired yeah. up about it. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. What was happening recently at Asbury would right. be an example of a Christ filled way mm-hmm. uh, to change culture. And we hope that continues. Absolutely. Well, the great news is because she did dare to speak up. Olivia won the right to be regraded on this assignment, and she ended up getting an A in the class. But I still think we have to give this week's inconceivable award to her professor for basically telling Olivia that even verbalizing or writing the phrase biological women is now banned and canceled. She's telling a biological woman that biological women are banned and canceled in writing or verbal, I guess. Yeah, exactly. She wins the award, hands down. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this week's Speak Up, Virginia. Remember to share our podcast with friends. Give us a good review to help it get it out there more. And remember, we are stronger when we speak together.